I'm in the book of the Genesis, in chapter number 50, which happens to be the last book in the Genesis, and the Genesis is the book of beginnings. And a dear friend of mine, when I turned 50, he said to me, there are 50 books in the Genesis, and therefore, this is not the beginning of the end. This is only the end of the beginning. And how right he was. Most of Genesis focuses on the life of one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. Joseph is given more airtime than any other character in the Genesis. He's given more airtime than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. He's given more airtime than Adam and Eve. He's given more airtime than Noah. He's given more airtime in Genesis than any other character. And this is because Joseph is perhaps the most perfect type of Christ in the Old Bible, the Old Testament. And because the Bible is about Christ, um, in that Christ is the person and the purpose of the scriptures, Joseph's life is spotlighted and amplified because he speaks not only of the coming of the real Joseph, but he also speaks to all of those who will follow Christ. You say, Bishop, how was Joseph a type of Christ? Well, he was the unique son of his father. All right, you have to act like you know the Bible. Just, just act like you know, you know what I mean? You're just like, ah, yeah, amen. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, because he, he was the firstborn son of Jacob's chosen wife, Rachel. So Jacob loved Rachel and agreed to work seven years for her hand in marriage. At the end of seven years, he was double-crossed and woke up with Leah. I'm not going to say much about Leah. If your name's Leah, bless you, you're good. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know whose idea that was, but it's all good. He agreed to work another seven years in order to have Rachel's hand in marriage. And I guess that's perhaps a, uh, a good indicator when it comes to love, which is the price you're willing to pay, the sacrifices you're willing to make, the time you're willing to invest. And he invested 14 years. And the firstborn son of his chosen wife, Rachel, was Joseph, which meant that in his mind, Joseph is the son I should have had 14 years ago. Joseph is the son of my intention. Joseph is in some respect my firstborn. Hence, he gets the coat of many colors, which was not a designer outfit to make him look good. But it was a symbolic way of saying, you are my beloved son and in you. I am well pleased. Joseph was loved by his father but hated by his brothers. Sound familiar? 
Joseph was sold by his brothers for pieces of silver. Sound familiar? While in the hands of Gentiles, Joseph was falsely accused. Sound familiar? He was sentenced to prison, which is a type of death. In the prison, he's accompanied by two others. One of them goes back, is restored. The other one perishes. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, you're going to the other place. <laughs> Once you're sent to prison for assaulting an officer of Pharaoh's wife, you're, you're ne no one's ever supposed to see you again. And yet, for Joseph, he went from the pit to the palace and sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sound familiar? From his position, he implemented a plan of salvation that saved the world from famine. But you had to believe in Joseph in order to be saved. Sound familiar? So that's why he gets so much airtime, spotlight, because the story of Jesus is in his story. But I want you to notice how Joseph died. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived for 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, not sure why the screen's twisted, but that's not what Joseph said to his brothers. That was just me talking to my family. Uh, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Okay, that's an English Standard Version. Uh, here's effectively what Joseph said. He said, I'm about to die, and God is going to visit you. And he's going to bring you out of this land. And when he does, take my bones with you. He basically is saying, I don't even want my bones to stay in a place that God was. I want to be where God is. So I'm going to speak into our collective consciousness for just a few minutes from the subject, the moves and the movements of God. The move and the movements of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Sweet, sweet, sweet Holy Spirit of God, we need you now more than ever to speak to us and to enlighten our understanding so that we see things we couldn't see before. Open our ears so that we can hear you more clearly. And so that faith will come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Lord, bless this house with wisdom and revelation and knowledge and understanding so that we may become all that you destined for us, so that we may do all that you designed for us, so that we may possess all the territory that you assigned to us. Be glorified, magnified, exalted in this word. Let my tongue be the pen of a ready writer and give me an unction to function in this office. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. So perhaps the first thing we learn about God in the Genesis. <sighs> you so perhaps the first thing we learn about God in the Genesis is that he is a moving God ooh yeah in the beginning God created heaven and earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God the spirit of God moved on the face of the deep. Now that's difficult because God is everywhere present at the same time and if God is everywhere at the same time, how does he move and why would he need to move? So this is drawing a distinction between the omnipresence of God And the manifest presence of God. Woo! The omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. The fact that God is everywhere doesn't mean that he is manifest everywhere. Well, I like, I like the hmm people. Come on now. So God is everywhere. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He sees everything. But his presence isn't evident, manifest, obvious everywhere. So what moves is the manifest presence of God. Uh, Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of you. Well, actually, he's in the midst of you whether you're gathered in his name or not. But it's his manifest presence that's going to be there. It's the evident presence, the obvious presence, the undeniable presence, the expressed presence. So when the Bible says the Spirit of God moved, this was the manifest presence of God moving. And this is perhaps one of the earliest teachings of the Bible, that God moves. And if you, if you study, I guess, the nature of God in some detail, you'll find out that that movement, particularly the movement of his manifest presence, is so characteristic of God, so characteristic of God, that his very throne, according to Ezekiel, is on wheels. His throne is more of a wheelchair than it is a, a stationary thing. Because when Ezekiel tries to describe the throne of God, he starts describing wheels. And a wheel in the middle of the wheel. 
because, because there is something about the presence of God that is always in motion. And it's like water. Mm-hmm. If the water's still, it's stagnant, it becomes a breeding ground for bacteria. But if it's flowing and it's moving, it's fresh. And so the idea is that God is moving, that there's a stirring. If the manifest presence of God were to walk in here, there would be a moving. You would feel a moving within you. You would want to move. You would be compelled to move. Uh, Either your hands would go up or your tears would flow or your voice would be expressed. There would be some movement. And even the orthodox Hasidic Jews kind of understand this principle, which is why when they pray, they move. Like it's, it's not, you, you don't pray and you're still. We have this idea of be still, be still. But actually the stillness that the psalmist is speaking about is more the stillness of your soul so that you're not being tossed to and fro with concern, anxiety, and worry, and all of that, but there's a stillness within you. But for those Orthodox Jews, when they pray, they have to rock. We have to move. to move because we're in the presence of this moving God. And this is why when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, God said, build me a tent. A what? A tent. That's called a mobile home. A moving house. Because until you get where you're going, you must have the flexibility... And the fluidity to move and to transition. You don't build a house in the wilderness. You pitch a tent. Come on somebody. If you're in a wilderness, which means you're, you're on a journey, you don't build a house. You pitch a tent. Because that's a mobile house. Because if we have to move again, we can pull down the tent, take it with us, and set it up again where we're going. Does that make sense? And for the children of Israel, they understood that the wilderness was a journey because they weren't following a map. They weren't following a road map. They were following the manifest presence of God, which was manifest as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So as the cloud moved, they had to move. As the fire moved, they had to move. If it was daytime, the cloud would start moving. If it was nighttime, the fire would start moving. And so this wasn't a matter of we know the way from Kadesh Barnea to the promised land, which is where they started off. We know, know, of course you know the route. It's an 11-day journey from the, the one side of the Red Sea to the promised land, to the banks of the Jordan on the promised land. It's an 11-day journey. We know the route, but we're not following a map. We're following the manifest presence. 
And the reason it took 40 years is because the presence moved around in the wilderness for 40 years. What? And why would God move around in circles? Well, he would move around in circles because it takes a day to get you out of Egypt, but it might take 40 years to get Egypt out of you. So I can't bring you into a new space with an old mindset. Can't bring you into a new space with an old mind. So I may have to take you around in circles until we've purged your mind of the slave-like mentality, the slavish ways, the slavish appetites, until I can transform you from a tenant to a landlord. Come on now, I can't bring you into the promised land and give you authority over new territory while you're still intimidated by, the, by your past. No. So we're not following the road map because so you can get places quick, so quick that you're not ready for where you've arrived. You get there too quick, it ejects you because you weren't ready for it. That's why if you're going to... If you want to be a millionaire, best make it. Because if you win it, it's the old you with new money. It's the old habits with new money. It's the old mindset. It's the old values. It's the old priorities with new money. But if you make it, the process of making it is a transformational journey that's giving you new values, new priorities, new skills, new strategies. By the time you get there, you're worthy of the space. So that even if you lost it, you'd make it again. I wish I had some help in here. But if you lose money, you won. You, you're, you <laughs> All you can do is go back to the bookies again and again. Breathing on the ticket. Praying on the door. Maybe it's this one. You got to spend everything on, your, on madness. So they said we're not following a... We're not following the map. We're following the manifest presence. Because even though it would be quicker to go that way, God knows when we're ready to go in. And because we're in this process of personal development, spiritual development, leadership development, because we're in this process where God is building us internally into the kinds of people that can govern a promised land, we cannot build a house here. We can only pitch a tent here. It's only King David, once he sat on the throne of the United Kingdom of Israel and occupied the territory God promised to Abraham. It's David that said, I'm dreaming of building God a house. And he drew up all the plans. And Solomon, his son, his successor, said, let's build the house of God. Why? Because we have arrived in the place. You build the house when you reach the place. You pitch a tent whilst you're in the process. You have to have the flexibility to get up and move. Wish I had some help in here. Because if the glory moves and you don't go with the glory, you're left without glory. 
You're alive, but you're on your own. No miracles, no signs, no wonders, no help, no breakthrough. You're just stuck on your own because God done left. Now you have to catch up. Pack up and catch up and run to where God is. And this is really important to understand that we pitch tents in our process. We build a house in our promised land. And you have to be honest and say, am I at my promised land? Let's ask ourselves a question. ICC, are we at the promised land right now? Now, now I know someone said yes, and, and I'm not going to spotlight you. <laughs> so you can pretend you said no. But So watch this. <laughs> Unfortunately for some people, Egypt was so bad that the wilderness feels like, like a breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like Egypt was so bad that just simply being out of it Woo, that's promised land. It's like deliverance, getting away from something becomes the obsession of people that are in bondage. And that's not, that's not good. So I need, to, I need to break that down. Just two more minutes. That's not good. Getting out of, if the obsession is to get out of a difficult thing, that's okay, but it's not good. Because when you get out of the difficult thing, you're lost. Okay? Because you weren't going to something. And, and see, Moses didn't come to say, listen, guys, God is going to get you out of this bondage. Glory. That's what he wants to do is get you out of this bondage. No. Moses says, God is going to deliver you and bring you. To a land that flows with milk and honey. In other words, you have to have a vision of somewhere that you're going so that when you get out of what you're in, you don't have to make a new set of decisions. You can just keep on moving and you now realize that my deliverance was part of a process that God was delivering me from somewhere so he could deliver me to somewhere. And then you don't quit and die in the wilderness. Look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, don't die in the wilderness. Come on, look at your other neighbor, say, you haven't arrived. You're in the process. You're allowed to pitch a tent so you can rest, so you can shelter, so you can do daily things. But you're not allowed to build a house because you're in a process. And the glory might move. The cloud might move. The fire might move. If the cloud moves and the fire moves, we have to pack up and we have to move with the cloud and with the fire. Because our life is depending on our proximity to the cloud and the fire. How many of you know that your life is linked to your, pro your proximity to the cloud and the fire, the manifest presence of God? How many have already decided I don't want to live without the manifest presence of God? 
How many have already made up in your mind, I need God more than I need anything else? Because if I got God, I got everything else that I'm ever going to need. If I got God, I've got all the money I'm ever going to need. If I got God, I've got all the things I'm ever going to need. If I'm going to lose something, let it be these other things, but not the manifest presence of God. I need thee. And God, if you're not going, I'm not going. And if you're going, I'm not staying. I wish I had some help in here. Nikki, come on and help a brother out. God, if you're going, I'm not staying. And if you're not going, I'm not going. Because my life is linked to my proximity to the manifest presence of God. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. If you don't already know that you need him every hour, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but a day is coming in your life where you're going to need God more than you need friends. A day is coming in your life where you're going to need God more than you need money. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but a day is coming in everybody's life when you're going to need God more than you need likes on your social media channel. You're going to need God more than you need a drink up with your buddies. You're going to need God more than you even need a church service. You're going to need God one day in your life. So if God's going, I'm going. And if God stays, I stay. And if God has left, I've left the building. Because I have to stay close. Somebody say, stay close. Look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, stay close. Stay close to Jesus. Whatever you do in your life, stay close to Jesus. Because you're going to need him at unexpected times. The man who gave an announcement today is a man who two months ago was flatlined on the floor with paramedics pushing to try to get his heart beating again. He had no idea before that day that this would be the day that you're going to need God more than money, more than friends, more than a position, more than a role, more than status, more than Facebook, more than Instagram, more than LinkedIn. You're going to need God in this moment and your family is going to need God in this moment. Is there anybody here that need God in this moment? Somebody shout glory. Woo. Woo. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. Hallelujah. Hey. Oh, Lord. Okay. Okay, you may be seated. Because I best just finished this little piece here. 
let's finish this little piece here. This is what I see. See, they gave me more time. I just, I see that. As Nikki, I was in Nigeria one time. He was probably there. And they said, they had the timer on the wall. It said five minutes left. Well, I just got into my... I looked back at the timer. It said five minutes left. Look back, it said 10 minutes left. I said, no, hold on. These guys are tricking me. <laughs> These guys are... <laughs> they're playing with the clock. <laughs> anyway. So I wanna, I'm kind of giving you context to why Joseph said, when you leave, take my bones with you. Like, I don't want to be anywhere that God was. I want to be where he is. I think Don Moen said it this way. I just want to be where you are. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, I'm not. I just calm down. <laughs> it's not, not that serious. Calm down. Uh, but I want you to notice the prophecy. Here's the prophecy. He said, God will surely visit you. Do you see that? God will visit you and bring you out. Oh, I need to say it again. God will visit you and bring you out. Oh, you know, when I was a younger preacher, I used to think, I used to pray for the visitation of God. Because I thought the visitation of God is the visitation of glory, miracles, signs, wonders, powerful, awesome presence of God. I thought that was the visitation of God. But when you get into the Exodus, you will see that the visitation of God was not nice. You heard that. (laughs) The visitation of God was not nice. And let me tell you why the visitation of God was not nice. It's because every Israelite knew. Every Israelite knew. This Egypt is temporary. This Egypt is not permanent. This Egypt is not our promised land. Joseph said, I want you all to hear this and I want you all to swear to me and make it very clear to all of you, this is not it. The problem was that it became it because it became very comfortable. I mean, Israel flourished in their Temporary process land. What do I mean they flourished? I mean they built houses, they built businesses, they built families, they multiplied. There were no such thing as Israelites having a child. At the very least, you're having twins. 
These Israelites were multiplying. And they were flourishing. And they were rich. And they were prosperous. And they were the middle class of Egypt. And they were so strong and so powerful as a block. That the Pharaoh who arose that did not know Joseph. Y'all listening to this? He said, these people are a threat to us. These people pose a threat. They are so powerful, so prosperous, and so large a block of people in our country that if they did deals with our enemies, then our enemies would have allies within our borders. And the Pharaoh said, this is not good. And so the Pharaoh started a campaign as follows. Go into the land of Goshen where the Israelites live. Arrest the men. Hello. Strip them of all their assets and all of their goods. Enslave the women and take every baby boy and throw the boy into the Nile and take them out of their comfortable houses and their luxury homes and put them into concentration camps and labor camps where they'll work themselves to death. This was the first Hitler of scripture preaching to his nation about a threat being posed by another ethnic group who were prospering in their land. And he began to tell them, you're not winning, you're losing because they're winning. And he turned the Egyptians against the Hebrews and enslaved them. And I thought about that. And I realized... That Moses, without that Pharaoh, without that madman in the palace, Moses wouldn't have stood a chance. Because you have to be ready to hear a new direction from God. And you're not ready while the old direction is working well. I mean, if the old thing is working well, you, you ain't ready to hear new. Don't want to hear new. Can you imagine Moses turning up while the Israelites are prospering? Big business, big families, big housing estates, beautiful neighborhoods, all of the mod cons, everything going on and doing it nice. Moses turn up say, guys, I need to talk to you. Give your attention, please. Here's what I need to tell you. I, 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 you know, I've been away for a while. I've been out in the wilderness, you know. And I was talking to God. It, it, it was kind of a bush. It was on fire. And, and I, started, I heard things, voices. <laughs> and I've been hearing, listening to these voices, you know. And I've come to tell you that it's time to leave. And God wants you to pack up everything. Follow me. To the Red Sea. Don't worry about the Red Sea. It will part. 
follow me to this mountain where God's going to give you laws and rules and regulations and he's going to curse you if you don't do them and bless you if you keep them. And it's going to be about 613 of these commandments. But follow me. I have a dream. And then we're going to go to another country that's already fully occupied with walled cities and giants live there and cannibals live there and trained skilled warriors live there and we're going to go there, we're going to fight them, we're going to drive them out and we're going to take the land uh, step by step and God's going to be with us. Uh, uh, How many amens do I have in the building? That's what Moses would have said. Just before the first tomato missed his head. Just before the second potato missed his head. And then the cabbage just drops straight in his face. And next thing, after the fruits and vegetables are being thrown at him, the rocks are going to come out now. We have to, listen, the first thing the people are going to say, they're going to say, listen, we need to shut this guy up now. Now, now, before anyone hears him. Okay? We need to have a little talk with him. We just say, Moses, come on in. We're just going to have a little talk to you. Come on in and shut the door, shut the door. Moses. <laughs> Yeah, we need to talk to you, bruh. <laughs> we got things we need to discuss. I mean, they would have beat him up. They would have killed him. Because you, you're speaking to the wrong people at the wrong time. We don't want to hear this. We are comfortable right now. But see, Joseph had already told them, don't get comfortable here. It's clear as crystal. Don't settle here. This ain't your promised land. This is your process. This is your process land. And don't confuse your process land with your promised land. He says, don't get comfortable here. God will visit you and bring you out. God's not just going to bring you out. He'll visit you first. And I begin to think about the visitation of God. And I realize what I'm going to share with you now before I close. I realize that Pharaoh was... The visitation of God. You heard it. Joseph didn't say God's going to come and get you out. He said, no, he'll visit you first. The visitation was Pharaoh. And when I saw that, I said, no, God, you got to give me more before I get up and start preaching this stuff. Because, you know, we're preaching to this intellectual crowd these days and that, like they check everything out and they Google and they, they try to, you know, catch you out. Then they want to send you emails and, and think you're going to actually reply. And, and then they, they want to troll you. They want to troll you and, and put in comments on your post. It's like, you know, I, God, give me some more evidence here. And so, and so I begin to see, I begin to see that when God took Moses aside, And called him at the burning bush. God said, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But he will not listen to you. Yeah. Tell him to let my people go. But I'm telling you in advance, he will not listen to you. And let me tell you why he will not listen to you. Drum roll. Because I have hardened his heart. I'm the one behind his stubbornness. 
I'm the one who made him insensitive to your cries and to your plight and to your pain. I am the one behind his hard heart. God, why would you get behind somebody's hard heart? Because until you are uncomfortable, you are not ready to hear what God is saying about your next. And God may have to disrupt your comfort zone to get you hungry for a new thing in your life. I wish I had some help in here. So that sometimes when your life gets messed up and broke up and shook up and wrecked up, I know your first inclination is to say, I take authority over every evil spirit and I plead the blood and come on, saints, help me pray because they're trying to take my house. Come on, saints, help me pray because this, this John Crow, they're trying to leave me now and trying to leave the kids. This... <laughs> Pray for me, saints, because this is breaking up and that's breaking down and the bailiffs are here and the other things are happening and here the saints come and they pray with you, but nothing seems to move. When nothing seems to move, you need to ask yourself, hold on a second, is this God disrupting my comfort zone? Is this God reminding me that this was never my promised land? This was only ever my process land? Is this God making me hungry for a new dimension is this God making me ready for a new word would I even listen to Moses were it not for a crazy Pharaoh because rejection is often a redirection And a setback is sometimes a setup for a breakthrough. Wish I had some help in here today. How many of you know that I'm telling you the truth? That your greatest victories have often come after what seemed like your worst defeat. That when you were let down and forsaken and trodden on and your comfort zone had been disrupted, it was the womb of a new beginning. Ask every baby that is born into the world, how did it happen? The baby will tell you what I'm preaching to you now. The baby would say, well, I've been living in a very comfortable place for about nine months now. Actually, I don't have any bills to pay. I don't have any rent. I'm not experiencing this cost of living crisis that you're all talking about. Because I get food kind of put into my body. All the nutrients that I need are put into my body for me. And I don't feel all these bumps and all of these things that you guys do because I'm very cushioned here. And I've been here for about nine months and I've been growing and, and I feel good. You know, as I feel, I feel good. Yeah, that's what the, but then all of a sudden uh, there'd be a jolt. And the baby was like, oh, I didn't like that. That didn't feel good. Ugh, oh, what's going on here? And ah, here's another one. What's going on here? And mother's feeling it too. Ah, these are contractions. And, and, and here's what the baby.
baby's saying. Now, mother is saying, ah, look like we're getting closer now. Look like because the contractions are getting more severe and they're getting closer together. But all the baby is saying is, I take authority over every witchcraft, every wizard, every spell, every hex, every devil that's coming against my life. I bind it right now. But it doesn't matter how much the baby's binding and pleading the blood. That comfort zone is breaking up. And it's breaking up because this was not your promised land. This was your process land. This was a womb designed to make you for the next chapter of your life. But you're never going to leave this. You'll never leave this while it's working out for you so very well. And eventually, the comfort zone absolutely collapses and falls apart and that baby is thrust violently into something they don't even know. But when they get there, you can never pay them to go back. Now stop by to tell someone on the other side of your next trial that devil couldn't pay you enough to go back because you're coming into something that's bigger, something that's better, something that's brighter, something that's more fruitful, something that's more prosperous, something that's more abundant, something that's more glorious, something that's victorious. You're going to a new place. If you're going to a new place, Get up on your feet and say, I'm going all the way to the promised land. I'm not going to settle in my process land. I'm going to the promised land. Somebody shout, yeah. I hope that made sense for somebody today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hope it made sense for somebody today. I need you to elbow your neighbor, say, say neighbor, you gotta move. Look at your other neighbor, say, you gotta move. You got to move when God gets ready. You got to move. You got to move. You got to move. You've got to move. You've got to move when God gets ready. You've got to move. Let's try. You got to move. Come on, Kato's. You got to move. It's how we started. You got to move. You got to move. When God gets ready, you got to move.